Uh, welcome here. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Matt, and a uh, real pleasure to have you here. Uh, praise God for the dry weather so far. Um, we are going to turn our attention to the Word of God. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you have one of those uh, lyrics pages, handouts, the scripture I'm going to be going through will be at the back, or just open up uh, a Bible app on your phone. We're going to be in First Peter. Uh, I would love to start, though, with a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll turn our attention to God's Word. Uh, Lord Jesus, we are thankful to be able to gather here outside. Thank you, Lord, for the dry weather. We are glad for the rain. Uh, our province needs a lot of rain, and so we're thankful for that. Uh, we are so thankful, though, that for this little window, we can be outside, we can be worshiping together, uh, hearing from your word, and then uh, celebrating. Lord, I pray that this would really be a day of celebration as we are going to see baptisms and as we can come together. Um, I pray for our neighbors, those who are hearing us. Lord, I pray that we are not an annoyance to them. Uh, Lord, we pray really, that they would come and hear and, uh, and experience the life-changing transformation of Christ. And so, uh, please, would you work in our hearts as we turn our attention to First Peter, to your word, speak to us, and uh, Lord, give us ears to hear. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, our fall series is going to be all through First Peter, and so uh, if you're new with us, uh, we tend to go through kind of books of the Bible, chunk by chunk. So we will be in First Peter up till Christmas, take a break for Christmas, finish it off in, in the new year. Uh, I've been really looking forward to First Peter. Uh, it's one of my favorite books. In fact, uh, when I've told people we're going to do First Peter, that... Uh, is usually the response that I get. A lot of people seem to like First Peter. Uh, I've heard responses like, ooh, ooh, that sounds great. Ooh, that sounds, oh, I can't wait. I love First Peter. And I think the reason is uh, that it's just chock full of encouragement, of hope, of blessing. Uh, it really is such a great reminder of all that we have in Christ, if, if you are a Christian. Uh, the other reason, though, that I particularly like First Peter is I think within it, we find the answer to one of the most common questions that I think everyone asks, inside and outside of the church. Uh, and that question is, why is life so often so difficult? That's a question uh, we ask as Christians. Uh, for those who don't have faith, we, we ask it. Why, why, why is it so hard? Why isn't it a little easier? It could be easier. It's a different question, though, um, depending on if you're inside or outside of the church. If you're outside of the church, if you're not a person of faith, it's a question you ask, but probably it's more like, a, like you're venting, right? When things aren't going well, oh, why, why isn't it easier? Why is this so difficult? You're, just, you're not really asking anyone in particular. But if you're a Christian, that question is directed to someone specific. It's directed to God. Many of us, at many times of our lives, even though we are people of faith, even though we believe that God is good, we find ourselves asking, asking this question, Lord, why, why is this so hard? Why is it so difficult? I, th I think part of the reason we ask that question is because as people of faith, uh, we've sometimes been, sometimes been raised to think that because God is good, because he's loving, because he's in control, then in a sense, uh, the, the sunshine of God, the blessing of God should always be apparent in our lives circumstantially. Uh, many of us have just come to understand because of maybe the way we've been taught that that if God loves you, then he's always going to show his love in a way that just makes your life, your life easier. So when it's not easy, we begin to question some of those things. We begin to think, well, maybe he's, maybe he's not that good. Or, or maybe he's not really attentive to my needs. Or, or maybe he's not really there in the way that I think he, he is there. And so it becomes a crisis of faith. It becomes a real challenge for us to find an answer. Our, our answer can sometimes mean a, a drawing away from the Lord. But in 1 Peter... In 1 Peter, we get 
the true answer to that question. Uh, we get a clear answer to that question. In fact, we get it in a, in a number of different ways, but essentially what it comes down to is this. Um, life is difficult, according to First Peter, because we are not home yet. Life is difficult because we live in a world that is hostile and antagonistic towards the things of God, and life is difficult because God has very good plans to grow us and shape us through the trials that exist in our lives. So with First Peter... We have an answer that is, um, that is fulfilling but also complex, requires a bit of thought to understand how exactly this works. Uh, today, we're, we're just going to get the introduction. First Peter's a letter, and we're just going to get the first two verses. But in those two verses, we find this answer that I'm talking about. Uh, so I'm going to read them, and uh, you can read along or, or just listen. Uh, this is how Peter starts his letter. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So that's kind of how they wrote letters back then. A lot of preamble. Uh, they always wrote who was writing at the beginning. It wasn't all the way to the end from Peter. It was, this is me, this is what I'm doing. And just a really grand introduction. He's, he's writing, you'll notice, not just to one specific church, but to a group of churches in a region of the world. Uh, today, we would call it um, basically modern-day Turkey. Uh, so those names, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, if you looked on a map, ancient map, you'd see that's, that's where it was. And so this letter would have been taken by messenger probably in the order of those cities, and they would go read it to the church. They'd make a copy, leave it there, go to the next church. So this was, this was a letter to a group of Christians. But the interesting thing is it's not just for the Christians back then. It's also for the people of Christ today. And what we see is that he refers to those Christians in a very specific way. And the way that he refers to them is so very helpful. It's so very helpful because it, it's the key to unlocking the door of understanding of our place in the world, like who we are. So he calls them elect exiles of the dispersion. So the dispersion part is more specific to them. Uh, back in, in those days, there was persecution in Jerusalem and different areas, so the Christians had kind of spread out. They were dispersed out throughout Asia Minor, and so he's just acknowledging that. Look, you're, you're people that have kind of gone out because there was uh, difficulties, there was danger wherever you were, and so the church at the time was, was dispersed, spread out. We, it's kind of true for us. We're a result of that in a sense, right? They came out of Jerusalem into Asia, throughout the known world, all the way to North America. But we're not dispersed in, in the sense that he means. That's more for them. But the two words that do still apply to us very, very accurately is that he calls them elect exiles. Elect exiles. These two words are essential for understanding who we are as people of Christ. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, uh, you should have your ears perked up. And you should be saying, maybe I've heard those words before, maybe I've never been clear, but this is what God is calling me. If you're here this morning and you're not a person of faith, I hope this will be interesting for you, helpful in terms of understanding how it is that the Bible talks about those people who go to church, those people who follow Jesus. So this is our question. We're going to spend most of our time on this. What does it mean that Christians are elect exiles? Uh, what are those two words? How do they fit together? Uh, we're going to take them one at a time. So first of all, elect. Uh, elect basically just means to be chosen. Not surprising. We're having an election. We're going to choose someone. We're going to mark an X on the ballot. If enough people choose someone, that, that person will be elected. 
Uh, it's important that we understand this word because it really does help us to understand our relationship with God. There are some within the church that would say, look, when you really get down to it, uh, someone is a Christian because they have chosen Jesus. Uh, they've heard the gospel. Uh, they, they've heard the good news. They've decided, yes, I want to follow Jesus. They've repented. It, it's essentially their choice. That's why they're a person of faith. But that's not really how the Bible reads. The Bible reads in such a way that at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day, uh, it's God who chooses. He is the one who chooses those who will have faith. It's not that we don't respond, but at the very beginning, the, the, the first mover is God himself. And we see this over and over again throughout the New Testament. I'm just going to read you one verse. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So notice the way that, that verse explains things. We are blessed to be in Jesus, in part because God was the one who chose us when, before he even made the world. That was when he, he looked out through all of time, all of history, and, and chose those who would come to faith. And, and notice what it says there. He did that so that eventually we would become holy and blameless. He chose us. He elected us. Not because we were fantastic, but because we needed help. Uh, the one thing that Christians do all agree on is that on our own, we are not holy. We are not blameless. We are not fantastic. God's whole plan is to make us more and more righteous, to help us in our sin, to help us because we are not the prize of the litter. We're like the runts of the litter, frankly. In fact, we see this even of Peter himself. So Peter, who's writing this, Peter, leader of the church, apostle, uh, Paul writes about him. In fact, all the apostles. And what he says about them is, you guys were not fantastic before Jesus chose you. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians. This just helps us understand, what does it mean by elect? It's not like the, the best in the bread. It doesn't mean elite, for sure. Here's verse 26 of 1 Corinthians. This is Paul talking to the, the leaders or the Christians at the time. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Ooh, it's a nice, dramatic effect. I like that. Just try to time those throughout the sermon, we'll all stay awake. So what it's saying here is, look, God is the one who chooses, and he chooses us in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our sin, so that his glory and his power would be revealed in the world, and so that we would be changed for the good that we'd be blessed, that we'd be drawn nearer to him. So to be elect means to be chosen and means to be loved. And it means to be transformed. Uh, here's a picture just that I, I noticed recently about um, election, what it is. It doesn't come from the human world. This comes from the bird world. And uh, that's because uh, there's a family in our church, Lynette, who's on staff, leads our women's ministry. Um, their, their family is a bird family. Uh, and what I mean by that is when I go over to their house, they breed budgies. Whenever I've gone over there, they have cages full of birds. They're uh, green and blue, all the different budgie colors. They love them. They, they nurture them. They raise them. Well, recently, another breeder gave Lynette 
this bird that uh, had been really rejected by its mother. Uh, the breeder didn't notice the bird at first as being rejected, so the mother had actually uh, sort of abused the bird, pecked out all its feathers, hadn't been feeding it, so its beak was all malformed. Um, when I saw a picture of this bird, I said, quite honestly, that is one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in my life. A, a picture, a, a tiny little buzzard, you know, with the, no <laughs> feathers on the neck, the beak was all pushed in, it was, it was very ugly. But Lynette, of course, loved this bird in her divine wisdom, not divine, in her wisdom, her sovereign wisdom, she, she chose this bird. She elected to care for this bird. And so she called it Ducky because it looks like a malformed duck. And, and she knew that I thought it was very ugly. So she, she began to send Donna and I videos of her caring for this bird, bathing it, feeding it. Uh, she had this syringe, trying to get nutrients into its body. So this last week, she brought the bird to, to the office here during the week. And I had to admit, the bird didn't look quite as ugly. Uh, it seemed to have more feathers. It was still pretty scrawny. But what I noticed about this bird is that it was totally in love with Lynette. I mean, she would put the bird on her shoulder. He would walk up the shoulder. And then he came over here and he would give her kisses. Bird kiss. And then he would go over when she gave him seeds. He would take the best seeds and come over and give her little gifts of seeds. He was so happy. He was, he was vibrant. This bird that had been totally rejected simply because of her loving care was now flourishing. I mean, as much as he could. He still looks pretty weird. But the point is, the point is that is a tiny little picture of what it means to be elect. It's the same with us. We, we may very well have experienced neglect. We may have had people totally forget about us. It, that we, we may look back on our lives and just think to ourselves, we're not really sure that anyone ever really wanted us. And yet, in the gospel, we have the clear message that, that God not only elected us, he, he not only just verbally said, I love you, he, he demonstrated his love in the most substantial way possible. He sent his own son, to come to earth, to live the life we could never live, to go to the cross and take the penalty for all of our, our lack of holiness, all of our sin. He gave everything so that we would know for sure that we are loved, that we are chosen, that we are the elect. Again, not because we're great, but because God is great. And because through his election, through his love, we are changed, we're transformed. Which brings us to the second word. So to be elect, chosen by God, for his glory, for our good. Exile, exile is not a word that has kind of really positive connotations to it. If, if, especially if you know biblical history. Uh, to be in exile for the Old Testament people of God, that was discipline. That was because they had, they had not worshipped God as they should have. They had fallen into sin. They'd worshipped false idols. And so God, in discipline, allowed the Babylonians, other armies to come and conquer them, carry them off. To other nations, I mean, it was, to be an exile was a shameful, horrible thing. So it's a little confusing then, maybe, to see elect, exile, like how do we put those two together? Well, a couple of things. Um, this is uh, hundreds of years uh, later. Uh, this is thousands of years later. This is, this is a long time removed from that sense of exile. And in fact, the word exile does not only have that meaning. When Peter uses the word exile here, it's, it's for a different meaning. It's, it's not exile because of discipline. It's exile because of mission. See, the essential meaning of the word exile is that you are living somewhere that is not your home. And that is an accurate description of what it means to be a Christian. That we are not home yet. That, that as a Christian, when you come to faith, you, you realize, look, now my home is not here on this earth. My home is in heaven that I have that to look forward to, 
no matter how great a, a home we have here, an estate, a manor, whatever it is, it's, it's not our home. Uh, we're called sojourners. We're, we're called exiles. We're called strangers in this world. In fact, that's how Jesus describes us when he's praying to the, to the Father in John 17. I'll read just a little bit. Here's him, him praying. He says this to the Father, I do not ask that you take them, that's us, the Christians, my people, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So what he's praying there is, Father, don't take my people out of the world. They need to be here. There's a purpose. There's a reason that I have them here, but, but this is not their home. So protect them. Keep them from the evil that is out there in the world. See, it's important that we understand that we are both elect and that we are exiles. Because understanding that we are exiles totally changes our expectations about what our life will be like. Here's an example of, I, th I think it might make this clear. Uh, when I was 20-ish, I had the opportunity to go on a short-term missions trip to Nepal. Uh, there were missionaries from our church there, and I went with a small team to support them. And uh, so I, I had a sense of what that would mean. I mean, I, when I was getting on the plane to go to Nepal, uh, I, my expectations, I think, were fairly clear. I knew what kind of a country Nepal was, fairly poor country. I knew that there would be challenges, difficulties. I knew that I wasn't going on a holiday, right? I wasn't going on vacation. I was going there, there's a job to be done, and there would be difficulties and challenges along the way. Those were my, those were my expectations, and my expectations were, were fairly accurate. Uh, when we flew into Kathmandu, it was very apparent that this was not home. This was not what I was used to. And there were a lot of challenges. Just to get from uh, Kathmandu up to the mountains, there was a field hospital there where uh, missionaries from our church were running. Uh, it was called Dundaldur uh, up in the mountains. To get from Kathmandu just across the country was much more difficult than flying all the way from Canada to Nepal. We had these night buses that were cramped, they were hot, uh, they were very uncomfortable. For some reason, there was music playing all night long. I'm not sure why, we couldn't sleep. And they weren't well kept. So an axle broke sort of partway through, and we were in the middle of nowhere, everyone got out and just kind of waited for another bus to come along. Uh, there was trucks that we were using, one in particular that just would not start unless we always parked it facing downhill. So we had to push it and then kind of jump in. There was, there's a lot of difficulties. If, if you've been on any part of the world that's not as easy as it is here, you know what I'm talking about. Our stomachs didn't love all of whatever bacteria was in the food. We spent a lot of time in the bathroom. It was, it was just, it was hard. It was not a holiday, but here's the thing. There was great joy in it as well. There, there, was, there was joy in just being able to serve the, the long-term missionary families there. There was wonder at seeing uh, lepers being cared for in this little field hospital, being taken in when no one else would. It was a real pleasure to worship with the Nepalese Christians who were there. But, but here's my point. You know what I didn't spend a lot of time doing when I was in Nepal? I didn't spend a lot of time praying and asking God why things were so difficult. I didn't spend a lot of time saying, saying, God, why am I so tired? Why is my stomach so sick? Why is it so hard to get everywhere? I, I didn't pray that way because I kind of expected it to be that difficult. I mean, certainly we prayed when the axle broke. We, we asked for God to move, but I wasn't confused. I wasn't frustrated. My faith wasn't stretched in the sense of like, why, why is this happening? Because it was clear to me what sort of mission I was on. I say that because there's great clarity and understanding when you're a stranger in a strange land and when you're there for a purpose. And I think many of us spend a lot of time praying without that clarity of understanding. We spend a lot of time 
so frustrated with God that things aren't easier. We spend a lot of time just pleading with the Lord, asking, why, why is it so difficult? Why is it so hard? We, we, we have the impression that this is our home and that our home should exemplify all of the blessings of heaven here and now. But, but can I ask you just, and I mean this gently, if you are a follower of Christ, what exactly were you expecting when you said you would follow Jesus? I mean, the promises of heaven are there for sure. Praise God for that. Praise God that he's given us a life that endures. Praise God that his spirit is, has indwelled us, that we always have the resources we need at every moment, every day. But what did you think when, when Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head? When he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When he said, I send you out into the world as sheep among wolves, you know, what did we expect that our life would be like? I think, I think the answer probably is, is yes, of course, we know it would be hard. But Matt, here in this, like in this instance, this is very difficult and, and God could make it better, couldn't he? I mean, isn't that what goes on the back of our minds? He could, could make this easier. Isn't he sovereign? Isn't he in control of everything? Of course he is. He's in absolute control. Every aspect of our, of our lives, he is in control of it. And in fact, we get reference to that in verse two. After Peter reminds us, tells us we are elect exiles. This is what we should expect. Then he ties it in to, to every um, person of the Trinity. First and foremost, he mentions Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But look at, look at what he says to kind of qualify this, to help us understand the context of this this description of us. He says, we are elect exiles, this is verse two, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So he's saying everything about our lives, that the tension between the, the already, not yet, that we're hoping for heaven, but we're here on this, all of that was known, was planned by God ahead of time. None of this was happening by chance. And that means the trials are part of the plan. In fact, this is the theme that we're gonna come back to again and again through 1 Peter. The, the wonder the mystery sometimes of how God uses the, the difficulties of our lives to hone us and shape us, to grow us in every good way. He, he knew it was going to happen. He planned out what would happen. He also says that we are elect exiles in the sanctification of the Spirit. It's, it's kind of tied together. He knew it would happen, and he planned it for a good purpose. Uh, to be sanctified means to be made more and more like Jesus, to be made more and more holy, more and more godly, um, it's not that we cease to be ourselves, it's that we become the very best version of ourselves. Uh, if, you, if you know Jesus at all, what I hope you know about him is, is that he is God, for one thing, but secondly, he is the most well-adjusted, content, peaceful, confident, joyful person in all the universe. He has no body issues. He has no self-doubt, no depression, no anxiety. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Wouldn't wouldn't we like to be more like that? I know I, I definitely would. To be able to wake up each morning and just to have such a peace about who I am and what I'm called to. To not be anxious when anything happens in the day. See, it's God's blessing. It's his goodness in our life that he is going to use the challenges to make us more peaceful, make us more confident, make us more joyful. Which, by the way, if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I've been on a number of holidays since my time in Nepal. And they've been great. They've been relaxing. They've been enjoyable. But 
I didn't grow during those times lying on the beach or whatever I was doing in the way that I did when I went to Nepal. The easy times in our lives, praise God for them. They're, they're enjoyable, they're restful, but they, they aren't actually the times that grow us in the way that are actually good for us. So it really should be no surprise that God's plan for our good is that there would be challenges along the way. The last thing he says is that we are elect exiles for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. This means um, that we are to live a life of obedience in a world of disobedience, which is just going to be hard. It's going to be a challenge. Which is why Peter mentions the sprinkling of the blood. That that's a, a reference to the mercy of God. That in the Old Testament, there was a temple there where they would come and they would actually sprinkle the blood of, of animals. It was a way of atoning for their sin and then praise God that that wouldn't have been enough. Jesus came and gave his own blood to atone for our sin so that even, even though we... We strive for obedience. We know we will fail, and yet there's always mercy. There's always grace. That's, that's the good news of the gospel. That's the blessing of being the elect again. It's not because we're great. It's because God is great, and he has forgiven us in the midst of our sin and promised to, to grow us in godliness, into maturity, so that we'd be prepared for heaven. And that's why he ends his little introduction by simply saying, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. What he's saying there is my intention, even in this letter, because he's going to write some, some difficult things in this letter. My intention is that your understanding of the grace and peace of the gospel would multiply, that it would expand, that as you understand yourself as elect exiles, you would draw nearer to the Lord, that in those times of difficulty, it wouldn't be a crisis of faith that ends in you walking away, but it would be a crisis of faith where you prove faithful by his grace, by his power, and the reason we can do that is because we recognize, look, this isn't our home. This isn't, this isn't where we're meant to live. So a couple things in terms of how we apply this for us as a church, for Tri-City Church, or if you're part of another church, this doesn't mean that we are to be harsh with each other. And I hope you haven't found me to be harsh. By that I mean, there are difficulties in life, real difficulties, real struggles, and we are called as Christians to enter into those times with each other and genuinely mourn with each other, G genuinely comfort each other. It's not generally comforting to give a theology lesson when someone is struggling, even if, even if there's theology to be spoken about. What's most comforting is simply to come in and, and just, just cry, just weep with the person who is, is mourning but it is also essential that we know the answer to that question. Like, why is life so difficult? Why is it so hard? And the answer is because, because God is at work. Because we are elect exiles. We are not home yet. So here's my answer. I'm gonna give the question I asked. Why does it mean for Christians? What does it mean that Christians are elect exiles? Uh, the answer is simply we are chosen in love for a glorious purpose. That's the answer. We are chosen in love for a glorious purpose. And really, we have a choice. Each time we, we, we're brought up against that, that difficulty, that, that struggle, are we going to embrace that fact or are we going to resist it? Are we going to spend weeks and months frustrated by what God is not doing? Or are we going to begin to look and see how he's using this to shape us, to grow our faith? It's a difficult thing. We need each other 
We really do, to help, to help us. We can be so blinded by just the pain of the moment or whatever it may be. It really is a blessing to be part of a church where we can remind each other of these truths. And I hope that in community group, in Bible study, wherever we are, that we will endeavor to do this with each other, to remind each other, look, you know, we're, we're not home yet. I, I know this 80 years seems like a long time. It's really not. I know it feels like things should be easy right now, but look, God, God knows what he is doing. To remind ourselves of the faithfulness of the one who chose us in the past and his promises for the future. And that means in the present, he's still at work. He, he, he's still growing us in the ways that we need to grow. So I'm gonna leave us with uh, a verse in 2 Corinthians that really kind of highlights this dynamic nature between, between the where we are now and, and where we are to be and the hope and the strength that we need now and, and the, the rest that's coming later on. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, says this. This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's what, that's what Jesus wants to do in us. He wants to open our hearts and our minds to see the glories of the eternal, to see the fact that there is so much greater things to come and that for us to be prepared for it, for us to be joyful about the right things even now, we need to, we need to strive to see those things that are unseen in Christ through the Spirit. And that will then motivate us to see the world around us as we should see it, which is we are strangers in a strange land, but we've been sent here with a message of love to really know the people around us, to really seek to love the people around us, those who don't know Jesus, those who don't know the gospel, those who are asking that very same question, why is, why is life so difficult? And yet there's no answer apart from the gospel. So that's my hope. For those of you who are trying to see church, my hope for us this year, this ministry year, is that we, we would be reminded of the hope that we have and that we would be excited to share it with others and that it would strengthen us in those challenging times uh, in our lives right now. So I'm going to pray, and then we are going to have an opportunity to see people uh, baptized, telling us the story of how God has redeemed them in this way and saved them from their sin. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I do thank you for the truths of the gospel. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that, um, that you promise to work in every situation of our lives. Uh, Lord Jesus, you have chosen us. You have elected us to demonstrate your glory, your power, and so that we might be used for a purpose. And I pray, Lord, for every Christian here that that, that would be the desire of our hearts, uh, that we would be people of faith and that we would be eager to lead others into faith as well. And I, I pray for those that are here, perhaps who don't have faith. Lord, I pray that you would be working in their hearts. I pray that there would be some, some questions that were answered perhaps during this time. And Lord, that um, if there are other questions, they would ask them. And Lord, that they would draw near to you. So we thank you for baptism. Thank you for the public display it is that there has been an inward change, that people have come from death to life by your grace, by your power, and that as we have faith in you, we are looking forward to that which is eternal, our life with you in heaven forever. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.